Hello and welcome back to the Into the Dopers podcast. My name is Fuad. We have our co-host Damien, and today we're joined by Nick Caldwell. Nick Caldwell is the Vice President Consumer at Twitter. He oversees a team of seven engineers working on everything consumer related there. He's had a long and illustrious career in tech, starting off at Microsoft, moving to Reddit, Looker, and Google. He did his undergrad in computer science and electrical engineering at MIT, and he has an MBA from the Haas School of Business at Berkeley. So hey, Nick, super, super excited to have you on. Uh, I had an amazing time interning at Twitter, and I, one of the highlights of it was actually hearing you speak at that Lunch and Learn. So uh, excited to have you on again and excited to have a great conversation. Oh, thanks. It's great to, great to connect again. Glad you had a good time at Twitter. I've, I've been at Twitter for, I guess, three months now, so uh, I'm yeah. still pretty new and loving it so far. Awesome. Good to hear. Yeah, you, you've been there about as long as my internship was, so <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of funny. Yeah, so cool. jumping into the episode, because uh, you're a very busy person, Nick, so we appreciate the time. But first of all, where's part two? Where's part two from? Uh, <laughs> oh, from, from Hello World, World VPN? VPN? Yes, sir. So, you know, a lot of people ask me about where's part two. And um, the challenge with, uh, if you've read that blog, it ends um, with uh, effectively me going to start at Microsoft and how I got into tech. Like, that's the narrative. And then... Uh, part two, you know, I started to write it and it was about, you know, my time at Microsoft in the first couple of jobs. And, you know, I could, I, instead, as I wrote it, I was like, this would be better off broken into specific uh, articles of advice. And mm-hmm. uh, so it, it sort of exists, but you, if you read through the rest of my kind of blog catalog, you, you can piece together what I would have written in a part two. And I think I'm gonna have to go back and consolidate it into a a narrative format. We'll we'll get there. It doesn't exist yet, but it's been on the back burner for a while. Right, right. Yeah. So we will definitely link the article in the show notes because it is an incredible read. And I love how you imbue this sense of humor into the read as well. So um, it definitely made the read a lot more um, engaging. Uh, one quotable being, if you can survive partial differential equations at MIT, you can survive anything. <laughs> it's, uh, complete, it's completely true, man. You know, I, I think like uh, people uh, often ask me about um, my struggles in my career and what I've had to deal with. And mm-hmm. I remember my last day at MIT, like, uh, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, I remember my last day at MIT ripping my partial differential equations book to shreds and throwing it out the window <laughs> of Senior oh, House. Uh, and it was just a... a it was an amazing moment for me because I was done. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm looking forward to that moment. I, I'm finishing up my senior year in, in six months, seven months now. So hopefully I get to do that as well. <laughs> oh, congrats, <laughs> but I totally man. feel you. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Do, do, you have a, do you have any classes that you delayed till, <laughs> till the very last uh, semester that you got to get through? I'm doing a machine learning course right now. And it's just a ton of linear algebra and matrices and, and like transposes and inverses and all that sort of thing. And our prop is making them do this all by hand and not using NumPy. So that's, that's really fun. I just finished a midterm for that before this episode, actually. So my head is like full of matrix multiplication and things like that. So yeah, that fun course and, for sure. Fun in quotes, right? Yeah. Like at MIT, <laughs> they made us build a computer from like base level transistors. And, you oh, know, man. I guess it's fun while you're in school. You'll never have to do that again. Like when you get in an industry, it's going to be take <laughs> NumPy, dude. What are you, what's wrong with you? Just take the thing off the shelf and get going. But exactly, it's, yeah. it's fun while you're in school to learn how all that stuff kind of works from the bottoms up. Yeah, definitely. So one of the themes that was really present throughout the entire first part of your um, from Hello World to VP Eng article was that that theme of adversity, right? And in reading that and studying some of the other great leaders, I was just wondering, is tremendous adversity 
a necessary prerequisite to becoming a great leader. Because, you know, when you're learning about some of these other great leaders, it feels like so many of them had some kind of rocky upbringing. And even you, you know, stepping out of your home and there was violence about just waiting at your doorstep. Are the leaders that grow up living a comfortable life missing anything? Well, there's two ways to look at it. Um, I definitely think having something that you're hungry about helps along the way, right? Um, that uh, if you can get your passion from whatever source uh, and adversity, uh, particularly for underrepresented people is, is the most common source you hear about, mm -hmm. that it helps you power through um, any of the difficulties that you might have. have. The, the flip side of that, unfortunately, is, um, you know, you asked about does it take take that to be a leader and the reality is no it doesn't require it to be you don't have to come from a from an underprivileged background or something there's so many examples of this because pe there's lots of people who are in leadership positions who sort of started from a great place mm -hmm. right? there's Definitely. just less of a distance to climb uh to be honest so i think if you're coming from an underrepresented background you get uh, a boost in energy um, uh, coming from ambition that can help mm. quite a bit to, to, to cut through, you know, glass ceilings or other sorts of adversity you encounter along the way. But mm. boy, wouldn't it be great if everyone sort of started on uh, an equal playing field? I think that's the Absolutely. better way to look at it. Yeah. Why, why then did you, would you say that you ended up in such a vastly different place than some of the people that you grew up with? And you know, how can we bring everybody up with us? Well, I was willing to make a lot of trade-offs. I mean, so if you, if you read that blog, it's uh, very early on in my life, I decided that I was going to do tech mm -hmm. and I gave up most of my other hobbies. So I used to do sports and like, you know, I had a lot of other things I was interested in. And once I got interested in tech, I fortunately latched onto it as the yeah. thing. And I, I leveraged my knowledge in uh, computer science to get to a better high school and uh, to get my first internship and ultimately to get to, to MIT. But the, the thing that's, I guess, implicit in all of that is um, gave up other hobbies. Uh, I haven't lived in Maryland around my family for since uh, uh, 1999, right? So wow. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, you, you make a lot of, uh, for me, the, the answer is uh, trade-offs that I early on understood that tech would be a pathway to um, the best possible uh, opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then I also early on understood that those opportunities would require trade-offs because they were not, certainly not geographically distributed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I ended up, uh, you know, living in, in Cambridge for school then going to Seattle for, uh, for Microsoft for some time. And, and now I'm in, uh, in the Bay area and each one of those mm -hmm. steps is clearly motivated by, by going after, uh, the, the greatest possible opportunities, but in return you give up other aspects and, uh, you know, like for me, uh, it is a bummer that I don't get to visit my family as much as I would, I would want. Fortunately, like now, mm -hmm. like uh, we're actually San Francisco is a little bit closer to my extended family. So that's been uh, that's been nice. But that's it's awesome. it's all about how bad you want it and what trade offs you're willing to make. For an underrepresented person, you've got to make bigger trade offs than, than average. And, uh, you know, for many people who grew up, uh, I grew up within PG County, Maryland, the idea that you would have to trade a very comfortable community, uh, you know, a, a place where you could see uh, within your within your community, you you had role models and and mm -hmm. um, 
you know, felt more welcome. The idea that you would trade that off to, to move to like a Seattle or a, a San Francisco for them, it's just not worth the, uh, the mm-hmm. trade-offs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a personal choice for everyone. For me, I was like, I want to see how high this rocket ship goes. I still haven't figured it out. It goes really high. Uh, so <laughs> it definitely does. Keep going. Yeah. Sky's the limit, right? I'm actually, I, I love that you mentioned that. First off, like software engineering is all about trade-offs, right? And so like, you know, such is life, right? Like there are things that you have to trade off and like, you know, we can work towards making those trade-offs easier, but at the end of the day, it's a personal decision for everyone. Um, and yeah, we talked about this a bit on the podcast before, but I'm actually in the process of uh, hopefully securing a return offer at Twitter and deciding between which office I would like to work at. And so like, it's, it's kind of the same problem. Like, do I move to San Francisco, New York? Do I stay remote? Uh, so I was wondering if you have any advice on that. Well, on the offer, I mean, I hope you get it. I can look that up for you. I didn't know you were. <laughs> so I know we approved a bunch of headcounts. So hopefully that one of those is going to you. Um, in, in terms of remote though, what I would say is um, COVID and remote work is really has really changed how we think about offices. So Twitter is going, was already on the path toward investing in more remote. So in that regard, I would say we're in a world where we're, we're approaching a world where you should be able to work from nearly any state in the United States. And then, you know, we're also expanding into uh, other, other countries as well. So um, I'm actually hiring right now a leader for what we call in global participation and that office We'll be based out of India and then we'll probably go to Nigeria and a few other places around the world. The -hmm. way to think about this though, is you can probably work from anywhere, but there is, I think even post COVID going to be something special about uh, San Francisco and the Bay area. And, and think about it in terms of this analogy, like different industries sort of have different sort of hubs like attract and and people are gravitated toward them so if you want to be in finance i I can tell you that the best place to learn and be surrounded by people who are interested in that is in new york even though finance is all electronic now you could do it from anywhere on the planet but why do people go to new york for um same thing's true of the entertainment industry if you think about it like scripts come from anywhere like the financing come from anywhere You, you shoot on location anywhere but if you want to be an actor or an actress and live that lifestyle, you're going to LA. Like, mm-hmm. like is the only quite, mm-hmm. it's the only industry where people go, oh, why does it have to be in San Francisco? Like, why? Um, so, what I think is going to happen is we'll definitely be able to hire and and have people work from anywhere. But if you're extremely entrepreneurial, and, or if you're if you want to be involved in venture and that sort of community, I think we'll continue to see like the, the magnet of, of San Francisco and the Bay Area being the place that, you know, people gravitate toward. And I think that's actually a pretty good mix. It means, you know, you can work and participate in the economy from anywhere. And if you want like the uh, in-depth experience, you can always, uh, you know, go to the Bay Area. Or, or if you're in other countries, every country has its own sort of, uh, you know, London for the UK and Shanghai if you're in China. Every country sort of has a, a place that people gravitate to for this purpose. For sure. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think you bring up a good point about remote work in the sense that, yeah, it allows everyone to participate and that's always a positive, but it's still nice to have, you know, to be in the location and build those connections. And like, you know, like every office is like a stone's throw away from where you are type of thing, which is, I think it's super, super invaluable, especially like early career. So yeah, great that you mentioned that. Yeah. You know, the, it, it, there's a lot that you get in, in the Bay area that goes beyond just the work. 
Like it's, it's the networking, the events, there's a whole community and, and system uh, in this area that supports entrepreneurs. And uh, that goes beyond like, Hey, just learning to code and being a good team player. Uh, it, it, it's so much bigger than that. And um, you know, there's other places in the world where you can get that for sure. Like New York has a good community. Seattle has a good community, but scale wise, uh, if you look at the market caps devoted to startups in the startup ecosystem or funding, like, uh, you know, uh, it, it, on any metric you would look at for the United States, the, the Bay Area is, I, I think, like 30, between 30 and 50x the, the next. I mean, it's, it's it, there's way more uh, in the ecosystem here. Um, doesn't mean you have to be here, but like, you know, it, it's a place to go to get access to everything at once. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of that community and everything, we have some very type A personalities that listen to <laughs> our podcast and, you know, it's putting it lightly, but, you oh, know, yeah. the very ambitious type, um, nothing can stop them once they have their eyes set on a goal. And, you know, sometimes this has a dark side. Um, the path to entrepreneurship can be very lonely. And from your story, it sounds like you were and maybe still are kind of that workaholic type. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you gotten better at finding that balance in your life? Uh, only very recently. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would say that to, the, to the folks who are ambitious and super hungry, um, I think as long as you're in control of that decision, uh, you shouldn't feel guilty about it. Like I, for most of my career, um, you know, just decided that that was the right trade off. And, you know, it's worked out. It's for me, it's been what I wanted to go after. And uh, I think the where you get into trouble is if other people make that choice for you. So if you're going to a workplace and they're telling you you need to work like 60 hours a week, that's off. Like that's not that's not the right thing. But if it's your choice and you're making the trade off, um, you shouldn't feel guilty about it. You should go after what you want. Um, What gives you what gives you happiness? so for me, like recently, only very recently, because um, I ju- honestly just joined Twitter. Um, Twitter is an interesting place in that um, it's the first time in my career I think I've been able to see a world where I can be successful and um, help others and, and have a really big impact while, while not like burning myself out. <laughs> like, and that. It's not that there's there's not huge important things to do here. It's just the the cultural vibe of the company is. I mean, I mean you'd have to work here to understand it. You, I mean, you, you know, you've got the internship, so hopefully you got a, a a piece of that. But it's very different than any other place I've worked. It's very much people first. I talk a lot about um, mental health care. We uh, well in advance of, of 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 COVID, people started talking about giving people time off to to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. You see examples of it from leadership all the way down, and um, and we still get great work done. It's it's um it's a very unique place. I, I know this podcast is not meant to be a a, a Twitter pitch <laughs> session, and I hope and I do hope you get the the job and so forth. But um, this For is sure. I would say the first time in my career where I can see the dial on work life balance maybe going a bit the other way. And where I'm using that time is, that additional time and energy is in other things I'm really passionate about. So I, I've been mm. spending a lot of time with Dev Color um, to try and find ways to get um, black, black software engineers further in their career. Uh, just this morning I was, uh, I was on a call 
uh, with a startup who is creating a pathway for uh, underrepresented people to get into executive positions and board positions. Mm -hmm. And I want to be a part of, of helping them build the right software and so forth. So I'm getting more time to, to spend on these sort of, you know, not directly related to my work, but more in, in service of a broader mission that, that I believe in. Early in your career, it's going to be about, honestly, like you got to get some money and stability, right? And then when you get enough skills underneath your, bet, uh, under, underneath your belt, you get freedom. You get the access to choose you know, where you want to work and, and so on. And then once you have money and freedom, it's like, well, maybe legacy. Like, what do I leave behind? And how, do I, mm -hmm. how is the world different because I was in it? So I've been Definitely. thinking a lot about that like, final phase. And I think what mm -hmm. I want it to be is twofold. One is, I think Twitter as a platform uh, is inc increasingly and incredibly powerful. And I want to make sure that um, that power is made available to the, the world in um, you know, as, as safe, a healthy a way as possible. So I think from a, from a product perspective, I'm very mission aligned with where Twitter's going. And then outside of Twitter, I want to make, uh, make it so that there's easier, easier pathways than what you read about in my blog, which is like give up everything and just go into tech. Sure. Uh, there's got to be easier pathways for for people who are underrepresented to get into tech and benefit from what is the, the greatest wealth generation mm -hmm. engine, uh, of, engine of all time. So uh, those are the yeah. two things I'm, I'm getting passionate about now. That's awesome. And yeah, you mentioned those like kind of three stages before in our lunch and learn. And I think that's such a like eye-opening way of looking at your career. And I think one of the things you mentioned was that you kind of wish that you had started stage three a little bit earlier, maybe. Uh, yeah, you have to have a feeling of safety before you can do a, a lot of the stuff. So for me, um, you know, if you, if you if you don't come from means, like if you don't have a lot of money, then you definitely you definitely yeah. give it a lot of weight and importance early on. And a lot of the decisions I made early in my career were made in ways that I was trying to de-risk losing my financial status, like because I didn't want to go back to not making decent money or and so on and so forth. And then uh, at a certain point in my life, I was like, wait a second, I actually am doing it right. Maybe I'm being too paranoid. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and I started to take more risks. That was when I uh, left uh, Microsoft and, and decided to go become a VP of engineering at, uh, at Reddit. And what I found was that, um, one, like in taking that risk, I learned more, I think, in that first two years on that job than I think I had in the previous 10 years at Microsoft. And mm -hmm. then also I learned about, I got a chance to learn about the, the financial rewards in, in, uh, in startups. And it was, you know, having been worried about making money and simultaneously not being aware of how much money was in the startup ecosystem, <laughs> retrospect, this is, wow, like what a dummy I was. Um, so, you know, it, it was, it, it, it was a good, it was a really good decision, probably the, the best decision I, I made to take that risk. Um, and then it also taught me that the skills I'd picked up over the years had just you know, made me valuable within the, within the ecosystem and that I had freedom. Mm -hmm. And and that's how, that's that, that's the pathway of development. Mm -hmm. Kind of on that note of like legacy and things, like talk to us a little bit more about like the mission of dev color and how you actually make Silicon Valley more inclusive. Because I think like it's a topic that's been discussed a lot before at a lot of different companies and every company has sort of their own approach, but what strategies work, what don't, and what are some of the concrete things that DevColor is doing that, that brings a different side to the table? Yeah, I mean, De DevColor does two things really well. The first one is it provides a community uh, that, you know, if you're, if you're a black software engineer, you can have uh, a group to go to um, 
and, you know, share experiences and, and just have a, like kind of a family sort of feeling almost like for, for me, uh, you know, most of my career is in Seattle, not a very big uh, black population there, certainly not a big black tech population. So the first time I uh, encountered dev color, it was like 300 people, 300 black software enge engineers in a room. It was like mind blowing to me. So first thing is it kind of gives you that sense of community, which is valuable for, because most you know, t Twitter aside, most uh, most uh, tech companies don't have large uh, black engineering populations. So Twitter, mm. I'm noticing, has is, is actually done a really great job of this. But I can say for most of my career, I've not had this benefit. And Dev Color uh, has played an important role in that uh, in that sense. The second thing is um, there's a program associated with it. It's not just hang out and be social. It's um, trying to get uh, people, uh, black people in tech, to achieve ambitious career goals. So for me, I went through the program, I set goals related to being better at public speaking, to being involved in venture capital, to raising, uh, excuse me, uh, hiring at, at Reddit. And by the end of it, I think we had quintupled the engineering size at Reddit. I had been signed wow. up for in international speaking gigs. The blog that you've that we're talking about here came as as a result of that uh program that's awesome and yeah. um and now i'm an angel investor in more than 30 30 startups cool. so you know a lot i mean you can see like if you just set goals and, and are surrounded by people who support you you can make some really really rapid uh progress in terms of like changing the industry as a whole i have kind of a programmatic programmatic way i think about it like as an exec sure. i have to think about this systemically because you have to move large numbers First stage is you have to build empathy. So this is having your company's leaders and people, particularly in positions to do hiring, empathize with the challenges associated with diversity and inclusion. And some people need to be convinced of that with metrics and numbers. Some, some people need more of a, a qualitative approach. Uh, but you have to build empathy, particularly at the leadership layer. Once you have empathy, changing your approach to hiring so that you are uh, able to hire people from new sources, uh, pipelines that don't have systemic biases. I think in recent years, the best type of talent uh, in this regard is people coming in through boot camps or career switching, people who yep. are getting like access to just very practical day-to-day -day knowledge and want to want to switch into tech, uh, as opposed to a traditional uh, four-year program, which is more comprehensive. You learn a lot of stuff in college that is useful you know, but not ne not necessarily in the context of like being a better worry, yeah, Python coder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, partial differential equations is one. Um, once people are uh, hired into the pipeline, think about ways to retain them, like giving them uh, employee resource groups and a sense of community. Uh, and then finally, with something I think the industry is still working on is trying to figure out how to. Uh, promote those people within uh, companies and accelerate their careers, perhaps even up into exact level positions. So mm -hmm. I think about the problem along all those different um, career stages. And each one has, I, I think, is developing really concrete approaches. And the momentum uh, behind investments in diversity and inclusion over the last few months has been amazing. So we have to make sure we don't lose that momentum. Mm -hmm, definitely yeah those are some really really good points and i i love that you tackled it from a systemic approach because i think it is a systemic problem and so systemic problems require that systems-based approach which you know engineers are all too excited <laughs> to get started working on right um how has um sort of like the blm movement and and tech's response to it been in your eyes and i know that you know there's obviously some things you may want to talk about a little sensitively because of your position but at the same time yeah what is your what is your understanding of like 
how tech has influenced the BLM movement and amplified or marginalized the voices that it needs to or doesn't need to? Well, I mean, I think a lot of the attention that um, uh, Black Lives Matter uh, and, and other um, social injustice issues have gotten recently uh, comes from uh, amplification on social networks. And in that regard, mm -hmm. I think um, certainly Twitter, Facebook, you know, social networks play an incredibly important role in, in uh, allowing people to shine a light on these sorts of things. I think that the, uh, the, the thing that we have to do, though, is make sure that, you know, particularly insofar as, 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 as we're talking about Black Lives Matter and, and the challenges associated there lead to systemic change, that um, we make concrete targets as opposed to sort of staying stuck in the emotion of the moment. It's a very emotional moment. We've got a lot of attention on this. But as the emotion fades over time, we have to make sure we're left with goals, targets, and systems to fix the underlying problems. Mm -hmm, and sure. I think, you know, in, in so far as uh, tech can take advantage of that, what I'd like to start seeing happen is very clear metrics and accountability toward hitting those metrics. I think we've had metric targets in the past, but I don't know if we've necessarily had the, the sort of accountability associated with, with, uh, with it. You know, if I think mm -hmm. about, um, you know, if you're a sales leader and you don't hit your targets, well, you won't be a sales leader for very long. And I think that, for you know, sure. we have the similar sorts of uh, accountability should be had finally for uh, goals related to uh, inclusion and, uh, and diversity. So at, at Twitter, we, we see that. And I think the broader industry should, should think about, um, you know, having real accountability tied with these goals as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so we're getting close to time. Thank you so much for your answers. We have uh, one final question that we want to ask you. It's sort of a tradition on our show. And the question is, if you could put any one message on a billboard that would reach millions, perhaps even billions of people, uh, and you can tailor the audience to whoever you want, you know, it could just be people in general, what message would you put on that billboard and why? Ooh, that's, that is a, man, I would need a couple <laughs> billboards. I would say, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about um, how, to make real progress in, um, in the black community. I think one thing I might uh, put on that billboard would be encouraging leaders who have made it uh, within tech or whatever industry to lift as they climb. Mm -hmm. And the way that I uh, like to phrase that is, um, you know, the, the only way that we will win as a community is if we can find a way to help one another. And, mm -hmm. you know, it took me a, a while to come around to that mindset in my career. You know, got to have that sense of uh, security and freedom to, to be comfortable with, uh, with lifting others up. But that would be the, the message I, I put on the billboard. Yeah, I remember uh, you said before that you don't get exec positions through LinkedIn. And, you know, there's like the whole story associated with that. But I love that you've taken strides towards actually putting action behind those words and being able to re rectify that issue. Absolutely. I mean, it took me, uh, the context of this, by the way, is how do you get exec jobs? These aren't posted on LinkedIn. They come mm -hmm. through your network. And when I was fortunate enough to learn and get access to executive recruiting networks, one of the very first things I did was write a blog post, record a video on how other people could get access <laughs> to these networks to love yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's lift as you climb. It doesn't have to be one winner take all, like there's enough growth in tech for us all to win. And we just have to be, be okay, like sharing, uh, sharing what we learn as we go. Love that. It's a positive sum yeah. game. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal yeah. that, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> feel free, feel free. Well, thank That's you awesome. so much again, Nick, for your time today. Um, there's been some plenty of gems that hopefully that our listeners can take with them and grow from. So uh, we'll leave you with that. What would be the best place for people to reach you? Uh, you guys can reach me on nickcaldwell.com. There's there's a, a little form you can get, uh, uh, fill out requests and so forth. Please please don't ask me for coffee. Like it's, <laughs> it's just I can't drink that much coffee. Um, uh, or you, you can follow me on Twitter at nick called. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know it's been a it's been a pleasure, you guys. Uh, you know, good luck in your future endeavors, and thanks for the invite here. And um, for folks in the audience listening, hope hope you get some valuable insights out of this. And good luck. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. See you guys.